And now, a message from Pastor Josh Carmody. Welcome to New Covenant this morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at New Covenant, and so sure is good. So, man, nice to see you all, and uh, we're glad you are here with us. We're glad there's some uh, family and friends here for those getting baptized, and uh, cool thing is you're welcome back any week. So anybody, anywhere, you're welcome back, and uh, so thanks for coming today. Uh, we've been talking the last uh, few months, this summer really, in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, 2, 3, and we are on 4, and we're talking about the peace of God. Everybody say, peace of God. And not like where you get a piece of, like P-I-E-C, but peace, you see it there? So the peace of God. And uh, that word peace means uh, completeness, it means soundness, safety, health, quiet, tranquility, and contentment. That sounds like a good thing. So the peace of God is all of those things that he gives to us. And we've been talking about how the peace of God uh, turns you and I into peacemakers. Instead of troublemakers, we become peacemakers. That the peace of God settles our anxiety and our fears and our worries. That the peace of God uh, guards our heart and mind and restores our joy. That was, that was tough. I was, that was me waiting. Restores our joy. Some of you are like, I'm not doing it. You can't get me to smile in church. It's not going to happen. So we're okay with you smiling in church, in, in church. And you can clap and say, woo, and amen, brother, and preach it, man, and whatever you want to say. So um, it's all good. Thanks. Appreciate it. Um, and last week, we talked about the God of peace the God of peace. And we talked about uh, our thoughts. Pastor Mike uh, shared that quote that only he can do right. But basically, if, if you're sick of the way you're thinking and doing things and who you are, then change what you've been doing and everything will be better. And I can't do it justice because he's... Be- it, what? It was opposite? I messed it up. See, I can't do it. Where's he at? Is he in here right now? All right. Well, he missed his opportunity to come up and impress you all with his quote. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but basically, basically, too, our thoughts, our thoughts produce actions. This one I know because this one I, I, I remembered, um, and I can do it. But our thoughts produce actions, don't they? Yeah. We act on what we think. And then those actions produce habits. You keep doing things continually, and then they become a habit. Now, they say it takes three times to have a bad habit form and 21 times for a good habit to form. I say that is unfair, but it's the fact of life. Apparently, say scientists or research, beha- I don't know. Anyway, people say it, so it must be true. But um, how many of you have noticed that it's easier to form bad habits than it is to form good habits? Okay, so science proved it right there. There you go. So um, that was scientific poll. Uh, so thoughts produce actions. Actions lead to habits. And then habits, the things we do over and over and over and over again, that, that determines the type of person we're going to become. That determines our character. And our character determines where we will end up. It determines our destiny. So if you don't like where you're going, you don't like the kind of person you've become, it all starts with your thoughts. And uh, so we have, uh, we have peace in that, that the God of peace would restore our thoughts and would give us a new destiny. Hey, real loud, Dad, give me the quote that I butchered just a minute ago. Say it. Be what you've always been. See how hard it is? He can't even do it. Okay, I'm sorry. Anyway, he's tapping out too. But it's a good one. Um, it's, it's a good one. 
Give it up. Now, if you're watching with us online, I'm sorry, but we're back now. Okay. Um, job, man. You got it. Uh, so let's read this morning. We're going to read out of Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 10, and pick up uh, right here. Paul's talking to the church at Philippi, and he says this, I'm glad in God. I'm far happier than you would ever guess. Happy that you're again showing such strong concern for me. Not that you ever quit praying and thinking about me. You just had no chance to show it. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy. That's cool. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. I don't mean that your help didn't mean a lot to me. It did. It was a beautiful thing that you came alongside me in my troubles. And so this morning, I want to look at, there's a lot we could look at. We don't have time to look at it all, which is the story every Sunday. But we have a few verses in here, and I want to share three thoughts. Everybody say three thoughts. I want to share these three thoughts with you that are found um, in this passage of Scripture out of the Message Bible. And the first one is this. Paul says this. I've learned by now to be quite content. I've learned by now to be quite content. Uh, everybody say that word with me. Say content. 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 It's not a word we use a lot. The word content means this, which I like. It means peaceful happiness. Remember, one of the definitions of the word peace is contentment. So this content, peaceful happiness or satisfied. So think you had Thanksgiving dinner, you ate and ate and ate and ate, and now you are satisfied, right? You're full. You're like, I can't eat anymore until someone's like, pie? You're like, eh, why not, right? <laughs> and there's always room for pie. And uh, I didn't even get an amen on that one. All right, whatever. Um, and, and so he's saying, I've learned by now to be quite content, to be at peace, to be uh, happy and satisfied with what I have. Paul says, I don't need anything, whether I have a lot or a letter, little, whether I'm full or empty, he says, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be in peaceful happiness. I've learned to be satisfied no matter what. And here's the cool thing that he says. He says, I've learned. Everybody say learned. So Paul learned how to be satisfied with what he had. Paul was a learner. You and I, we also can learn. It is very easy. I don't even know if we realize it sometimes. It is very easy to be discontent. It is very easy in this world to be discontent. As a nation, we are not known for our contentment, our peacefulness, or to be satisfied. That's just thunder. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. We don't really know what it feels like. Our nation is not content. Our nation is not at peace. Our people around us are a lot of times not happy with where they are in life. And I think that what happens is slowly but surely we fall into this discontentment. We fall into this discontentment that all of a sudden we are not satisfied with what we have. The good news is, everybody say good news. 
is that we can learn to be content. Well, in what kind of areas could we possibly be discontent in? Well, I mean, there's the matter of money, wealth, careers, churches, the way you look in the mirror, relationships. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we can look at and say, I am not satisfied. I want the six-pack abs. Right now, I just have belly. (laughs) Or, I wonder if I should dye those gray hairs. Don't. Nobody else notices them. Right? But we're concerned and we're nervous about, is our home big enough? Have I married the right person? Is this career really what I want for my life? And we grow discontent. And the list could go on, but I don't want to depress anybody. And I don't think we intentionally say, I am discontent, so now I'm going to go out and do something different. It just slowly creeps in. But there's good news. We can learn to be content. I want to talk for one moment, just really quickly, about one area of discontentment, and that's this idea of money and wealth. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, a devout life does bring wealth. Sound good to anybody? But it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. Since we entered the world penniless and will leave it penniless, if we have bread on the table and shoes on our feet, that's enough. But if it's only money these leaders are after, they'll self-destruct in no time. Lust for money brings trouble and nothing but trouble. Going down that path, some lose their footing in the faith completely and live to regret it bitterly ever after. We've all heard of happily ever after. And they sailed off into the sunset and lived happily ever after, right? And now here's, here's we see in, in, in 1 Timothy, Paul's writing to a young pastor, and he's saying, there are some who are so obsessed with more, 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 gimme, 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 consumerism, I need more, 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 money, wealth, this, that stuff, that they lose sight of their faith and live bitterly ever after. Lust for money, not money itself, but lust for money brings trouble and nothing but trouble. We need money. Money's a good thing. We are able to gather together here this morning because there's money. We're able to work and to provide for our families because we have jobs and there is money. Money is not bad, but this lust, this unnatural desire where I must get it at any cost to anybody else, am I, I must have it, that is unhealthy and nothing but trouble and leads us to the path of living bitterly ever after. But I think there's one thing that we can learn. I think there's one thing that we can do of many things, and this is just my idea, and I'll read you a scripture here in a second. But I truly believe there's one thing that we can do to be at peace with our wealth, with our money. And honestly, that one thing is to be debt-free. Amen. It's okay. I don't expect it. Proverbs 22, verse 7 says this, The poor are always ruled over by the rich. So don't borrow and put yourself under their power. So at this point, let me say this. Debt is not a sin. Mismanaging finances, I mean, we should be good stewards of what we have, but debt itself is not a sin. But for me, 
as a pastor, when I look out here and I talk to you guys, understand my heart and why I'm saying that debt is not a good thing to have, that debt will not lead us to peace because debt causes us to work too many jobs, too many hours. Debt causes us to live way above our means. Because if we can't afford it, we'll just borrow because we want it. Because we never really grew up and understood that sometimes in life you just have to say no. And we teach to our kids all the time, knock it off. Don't do that. No, you can't have that. But then we grow up and there's no one to tell us no. And so we say yes to everything. And before long, we're discontent with that and we're drowning in debt. And I have good news. You can learn to be content. You can learn to stay out of debt. No, you can't. Yes, you can. We don't have time, but it can be done. Saying no to debt means saying no to a thousand other things. It means saying no to yourself. And it's difficult because you say, I earn it. I deserve it. I'm a good person. I want it. But you have to decide for yourself how bad you want that thing that you've grown discontent with. So good news, we have Financial Peace University. The word's right in it. And good news, you can sign up for it. It's only $50. You say, really, you're going to charge me $50? You know I'm having problems with money right now. So here's my guarantee. First service didn't even get this. If you sign up for that class, you pay that $50, you attend all nine weeks, and you don't have less debt or more money in your bank account, I will give you your $50 back. I just made that up right now. That's how sure I am of this, that you will, have, you will walk away with less debt or more money in your savings account or both. And if you do not, and you attended all nine weeks and you tried, I'll be like, here's your 50 bucks back. Okay? I said it. I have witnesses. All right? So sign up. So Paul says this. He says, I've learned the recipe for being happy. Oh, do share, Paul. I've learned the recipe for being happy. Here's what he says. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. In another translation, it goes like this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13. You heard that one before? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ who gives me strength. He says, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Paul's saying that no matter what I'm going through, Christ will help me through it. He gives me the peace and the strength. Paul trusts Jesus to provide strength in all circumstances. In all circumstances, Paul trusts Jesus to provide the strength that he needs to get through it. Why? Because he knows that he can get through anything because Jesus is his source. Look at what John 15 says. This is Jesus talking. He's saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home with a home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. 
This is how my Father shows who he is when you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. So we have this scripture, and in this, word, in this scripture it says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and when you're joined with me, and that word joined, some translations use the word abide. When you dwell with Jesus Christ, when you reside with him, another translation of that word is when you are present with Jesus Christ. When you are present with him, it says the relationship is intimate and organic. Here's the thing. We can make it through anything in life. I want you to understand that somebody needs this this morning. You're facing something. You're struggling with something. There's something ahead of you. We can make it through anything in life as long as we are connected to Jesus. He's using this idea of a vine and branches. And so the vine is in the ground. Think of grapes. And the grapevine is in the ground and it grows up and the vine grows up and then branches come off of the vine and what is on the end of those branches? Grapes, right? And so he's saying, listen, in your life, I am the vine. Everything you need to produce fruit in your life, I will provide for you. All of the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control that are the fruit of the Spirit, that are evidence that the Holy Spirit is in our lives. He's saying, stay connected to me because everything that you need for love and joy and peace and etc., all of that is available through me. All you have to do is stay connected to Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. The branches, you and I, produce fruit in our lives, but our source, our supply comes from Jesus. So we can make it through anything in life because we are connected to him. And when we are present with Christ, when we dwell with him, when we abide in him, when we are present with Jesus, our lives produce fruit. And this scripture says that the harvest is abundant. That the harvest is abundant. And not only that, that the harvest shows this world who God is. Because you and I get to take this fruit of love. And what do we do? What's a tree do? An apple tree. It grows apple. But is that, are those apples, are they for the good of that tree? Or are they for the good of us to enjoy? They're good for us. And the apple tree just grows the apples and then people pick from it and eat it and are, they have nutrients and they're, they're, they feel better and they're more energetic. And so you and I, we create love, joy, peace, patience in our lives and it hangs on us and then people meet us and get to know us. And because we're people full of love and joy and peace, now all of a sudden when they were needing peace, we offered that to them because it was a fruit that came from our life. Because we're connected to Jesus Christ who supplies everything that we need so that whatever I am and wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. You and I are the hope of the world. Amen? Not because of who we are, but because of Christ on the inside of us. Separated, we produce nothing. But when our lives produce fruit, the Father shows this world who he is. Here's the truth. You and I, we have something to offer other people. Far too long, the church has offered judge, judgment and criticism, and we've got to stop. The fruit that we want to offer this world is love and joy and peace and patience, 
Those are the kind of things that we as a church, those are the kind of things that we as a Christian want to be known for. We want to be known for the love that we have, not for the hate that we have towards a certain group that doesn't look, act, or think like us. We want people to feel loved, and we have something to offer everyone. Amen? And finally, Paul says this. It was a beautiful thing. I would say beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing that you came alongside me in my troubles. It was a beautiful thing that you came alongside me in my troubles. When Paul had troubles, Paul, I mean, he had trouble. He started churches. He did mission work. He was, he was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was, rocks were thrown. They tried to kill him a whole bunch. I mean, Paul went through some things. And he said, in all of my troubles, you came alongside me. He goes on to say, we're going to talk about it in the next couple of weeks, he talks on to say about how the church at Philippi was so generous and giving him offerings and money and supported him in the work that God had called him to do. But not only that, they were praying for him. And they were encouraging and supporting him in their prayers. And he says, man, it is beautiful when we walk side by side with people in their troubles. And I have something to say about that this morning, that while it's beautiful when we walk with others, it's pretty ugly when we don't. While it's beautiful when we walk with other people and help them, it gets kind of ugly if we don't. If we decide that we're not going to walk with others when they're having trouble, if we decide that our needs and the things that we're going through is more important than what someone else is currently going through. I'll give you an example. I'd like to think and I believe that our church is one where people find love and acceptance. Amen? Or you feel welcome just as you are. We say it, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, we love and accept you for who you are. And we mean it, and we believe it, and we do our level best to practice it on a daily basis. The staff, the leaders, and those of you that make up the church, all of us, don't we do that? Isn't that something that we all strive to do? I had a conversation with someone I hadn't seen in a while, and uh, we decided to meet up and talked recently, and talking with this individual, and Hadn't seen him in church and hadn't seen him around and just kind of seeing what was going on. And months back, a long time ago, there was a time in their life where there's just a bunch of things coming at them. 10, 15, just all these different things, all these different sources. It seemed like it was a perfect storm that there was absolutely nothing else that could get any worse because everything was just piling up and things were beginning to fall apart and they couldn't keep their head above water. Anybody ever felt like that? And they reached out to their church family a couple times. And while we weren't rude or disrespectful, we kind of pushed them aside. Didn't really have much to offer. Maybe didn't completely understand the scenario. And just kind of gently nudged them to the side. And this hurt them. Because at a time where they were looking for somebody to walk with them in a time of trouble. They looked to us, and we didn't quite get it right. And as you can imagine, there's some hurt there. And it brought up all of the other churches in the past that had done similar things, or all the other people who had done similar things, or how there was nobody that ever is there for me. And I felt bad. And I looked that person in the eye and I said, I am sorry. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And they did. So it's probably not even as big of a deal as I think. 
But at a time when we needed you the most, it felt like no one was there. I apologized again. (laughs) and said, please know that if there's ever anything that you need, I'm here for you. And I didn't mean it just because it's like that's the right thing. I didn't say it because it's like that's the right thing. I meant it. Like if there's something that you need, I'm here for you. It was a good conversation. I feel like it went well, and I don't know what the end result will be. But when we get this right, it's a beautiful thing, and when we get it wrong, it's not. It causes hurt and offense. And I didn't even know about it. it. Happened a long time ago. I had no idea. It was on us to make it right. None of us get it right all the time. None of us. It's like, well, the church, no. Well, Josh, you get it, no. That's my wife. She'll tell you. (laughs) We all get it wrong. Unintentionally. We need to walk with people in their troubles. Together, we stand. Together, we stand. Look at what it says next four. The whole congregation of believers was united as one, one heart, one mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said, that's mine, you can't have it. They shared everything. The apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the Master Jesus, and grace was on all of them. And so it turned out that not a person among them was needy. And those who owned fields or houses sold them and brought the price of the sale to the apostles and made an offering of it, and the apostles then distributed according to each person's need. There's a lot of stuff going on here. This is the early church back in Acts 4, and just an explosion of growth and people coming to know Jesus Christ, and uh, you can read about all that in Acts. And and then here, they, I like this, the whole congregation of believers, I mean, like all of us right here, the whole congregation of believers were united as one, one heart and one mind. That's a miracle. I mean, we probably couldn't even all agree on one place to go for lunch afterwards, right? Don't, now, don't be thinking about lunch. No, I'm just kidding. I'm almost done. One heart and one mind. They were unified. Unity is so important to us as a church. And what were they united in doing? They were united in sharing in the needs of others. Like we read earlier, if we have shoes on our feet, if our body is protected from the elements and we have bread in our stomach, if we don't have that constant nagging hunger, what else do we need? So they were taking care of the needs of others, and I like it. It turned out that not a, a person, not a one of them, was needy. That there was no buddy who had need of anything because the believers together took care of one another. It's a beautiful thing when we walk together in times of trouble. When people have a need, it is a beautiful thing that we walk with them in it. And then it says this, the apostles, those that were doing all this thing, it says they gave a powerful witness to the resurrection of the Master Jesus. 
It's like, man, how, what sets these guys apart? The fact that they were unified in taking care of one another. It was a powerful witness to the rest of the world. Wow, these Christians, they're legit. They care for people that nobody cares about. They, they stop thinking about themselves long enough to think about somebody else. They stop thinking about how discontent they are with all of the stuff that they have, and they stop for a moment and say, man, there are needy people around me, and I could probably do something to help them. That spoke a powerful witness of who Jesus Christ is to the world around them because that was not normal. And I challenge us this morning, this is not supposed to be a condemning message. And I hope you don't take it that way. This is supposed to be a challenge for all of us. A challenge for all of us to learn how to be content. To see the needs of of others and sacrifice that whatever new thing that's coming out because here's the thing in a couple years it's going to be the old thing and there's going to be another new thing let's sacrifice what we think we need for the comfort of ourselves and our families and let's stop and say how can I honestly and truly help you what can I do for you, I'm good. I got shoes on my feet and I got food on the table. I mean, let's be honest. We have roofs over our heads. We have cars that we came here in. We have multiple closets full of these things right here. We have so much food that it expires and we have to throw it away. We waste so much food at the restaurant that people are literally dying of starvation, but our dumpsters are full. I'm not saying this stuff has to be grandiose. I remember my wife and I, we went to a, there was someone who was kind of preaching on these lines. We went to a church up in Minneapolis and they had a guest speaker and guest speakers can get away with this stuff. But they were talking about some of these things and, and he said, he, he was talking about fostering and how their life has been inconvenienced with fostering and adoption and just some different things going on. And he's talking about these grandiose ways that, that we could change the world and and look less on ourselves and, and, and focus less on us and focus more on others. And he made this statement. He's like, we could sell our houses, buy two, and give one away. I'm not saying you should do that. But I'm telling you, that hit me and it struck something on the inside of me. That's radical. That's the early church that I just read about. There was no one needy among them. And it's something for us to think about, but go back if you're like, Josh, that's too much for me. Fine, go back to the fast food or the food thing. We're throwing food away. We let stuff expire. Get that into the hands of somebody who could use it and need it if it's just going to go bad and be tossed. Do we want to be a powerful witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I mean, do we want to be powerful witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is alive and well, and that there is love that flows through us? Then we should pay attention to the needs of others. Yeah, but that's inconvenient. I'm sorry. It's kind of the walk that we've said that we'd live. Pastor Mike said it all the time. I'm here to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So after today's message, you'll know which camp you fit into. 
If you feel afflicted, you've been a little comfortable. If you feel comforted, then hey, you've been afflicted. Do we want to be powerful witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus? Then let's be united with those around us. Let's help the needy. Let's do something for one person. Even if we can't do it for everybody, who can we do something for? Who's that one person? Do something for one that you can't do for everyone. And don't ever expect to be repaid. Well, I'll do that when someone does something for me. No. You do it first. And second and third and fourth and fifth. And I don't know if you'll ever get repaid. But as we learned earlier, our reward is not here. It is in heaven. Right? And we don't do it for fame or recognition or because it's the cool and popular thing to do because chances are it's not going to be either one of those things. But if we're seriously connected to Jesus Christ and his love flows through us and we have love and joy and peace and patience, that is not for us. That is for us to give to the world around us. And so my encouragement, my challenge to you today is to learn to be content and pay attention to the needs of others. For more information on New Covenant, contact us at 3318 Fifth Avenue South, Fort Dodge, Iowa, 50501. Or you can call us at 515-955-6222.